Hello and welcome. My name is Sophia Besch and you're listening to the CER podcast. On March 29th, 2017, the UK under the leadership of Prime Minister Theresa May has officially begun the two-year process of leaving the European Union after 44 years of membership. A letter signed by the Prime Minister in which she triggers Article 50 has been hand-delivered to the President of the European Council and I am here with Agata Gostinsa Jakubowska, our CER EU institutions expert, who has written extensively on how the Article 50 process is likely to unfold. Agata, now that it has happened, what are your major takeaways from May's letter? Many have remarked on the fact that her tone was more conciliatory than previous statements of hers. Would you agree with that? I would agree that Theresa May has actually managed to strike a rather positive and constructive tone, which would certainly help her to get the negotiations on the right track. She has abandoned the more confrontational tone than in fact was present in some of the bits of her Lancaster speech. Mm. Um, She didn't threaten European partners uh, that if the UK does not get a deal that would be satisfactory, Um, the UK would be willing to turn uh, the islands into the tax haven. She hasn't said this today. Uh, She was more positive and uh, willing to cooperate. She actually even used the uh, notion of the sincere cooperation that she would hope that this uh, EU principle would lead the negotiations. Having said this, there are still some elements of her speech uh, which, to my mind, could cause some kind of irritation in European capitals, she basically hinted that she would be willing actually to use um, the security card in the negotiations. It wasn't that explicit, I think, as it was in the Lancaster speech, but still, I think, would you agree that this could cause some tensions in the negotiations? Right. I mean, on security cooperation, what she has said is that the UK wants to agree a deep and special partnership taking in both economic and security cooperation. And I think that you're right that to many Europeans, this explicit linkage between the economic relationship and the security relationship still feels a little bit uncomfortable. But at the same time, Europeans do want cooperation on security, Absolutely. particularly when it comes to counterterrorism cooperation or the input of the UK's intelligence services. And I do think that they know that it would be naive to assume that security is not part of the negotiation deals. Um, the British certainly consider it one of their strongest cards. Moving on from the tone of Theresa May's letter to the actual substance of it, What did she say and what did she not say, Agatha? In her notification letter, Theresa May seemed to focus mostly on the future rather than on the divorce terms. And this is why she also consistently argued that the UK would be uh, willing to uh, strike both the agreement on the uh, withdrawal terms and on the future relationship. But it's interesting also to note what she didn't say. And indeed, she didn't uh, shed light on her negotiating strategy. The notification letter was very broad, but uh, she apparently left out all the details concerning the priorities for both the divorce uh, negotiations and the future relationship to her negotiators. Would you say that that's a deliberate strategy? Is that a smart move on her side? I think it was uh, deliberate and actually we all 
argued that this letter should be actually concise <laughs> and quite short so that European counterparts can respond to this letter uh, quite quickly because we know that uh, now that she has triggered Article 50, uh, the two uh, years period basically is ongoing. So the time, the clock is ticking and the time is against her. And at the same time, it's a very smart strategy uh, basically to be very vague, to be as vague as possible, not to promise too much to her own domestic uh, audience, uh, just in case she cannot deliver it. So you mentioned a couple of moments ago um, that she's actually quite ambitious in the things that she does set out, because she seems to be aiming to negotiate both the divorce agreement and the new relationship uh, mm. over the next two years. In one of the opinion pieces that I wrote recently, I argued, I asked Theresa May to moderate her expectation, basically to show that she understands how the European decision-making process operates. And I warned her against uh, actually setting the bar high. And I warned her against going for the strategy that both a divorce deal and a deal on the future relationship can be concluded within two years time she did apparently she didn't listen but this will be one of the biggest sticky points i think in those negotiations because uh, all european partners both the european council president but also the european parliament have been repeatedly uh, saying that uh, the eu would like to prioritize the divorce terms and only then once the negotiations go smoothly there is this window of opportunity to discuss about the future relationship but it's to me a fantasy to assume that one could have both a withdrawal agreement and a very comprehensive free trade agreement including also some elements of the foreign policy and security within two years framework and it's interesting because she does say in the beginning of her letter that she understands that there can be no cherry picking yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's well spotted on your side, Sophia. In fact, this letter is full of uh, inconsistencies. On one hand, she indeed says that she understands that she has listened to European partners, that uh, four freedoms are indivisible, and this is why the UK is leaving uh, not only the EU, but also the single market. On the other hand, in the very next part of her speech, she's suggesting that she would like to have a bespoke agreement, which in fact would entail some elements of the single market, particularly in financial services and in uh, automotive industry, which for European counterparts would already amount to cherry picking. So how have her European counterparts reacted to that letter? Have they picked up on these inconsistencies? So we basically saw a European Parliament's draft resolution, which was leaked to the public domain. And in this resolution, the European Parliament has stated that EU will prioritize withdrawal discussions. And it has actually also reminded Theresa May that legally the EU cannot conclude international agreement, free trade agreement with one of its member states. So apparently it seems to me uh, the UK will have to um, tone down uh, its expectations. Um, European Council has also immediately released its statement after uh, Tim Barrow has handed in a notification letter. And in this statement, 
and uh, what is basically the major message that European leaders are trying to get across is the EU unity. So the priority for the EU will be to act united. And it seems to me this is um, this is a clear message to Theresa May that just in case she tries to approach those negotiations with the divide and rule strategy, she will be defeated. But of course, the time will only show if the EU is united because the EU is a union of 27 now apparently, well, uh, will approach those negotiations with 27 member states and they will have perhaps at times slightly different incentives, different priorities and different interests. Something that I think all of us are asked a lot when we go abroad, which is the question of reversibility. So in her speech, Theresa May, in her speech to the parliament today, she has said that this is a historic decision that the UK cannot turn back on. In your opinion, both as a political commentator, but also as a legal Mm. expert, is she right? So politically, I think it would be naive to think that there will be some change of minds and that the UK basically uh, will decide not to leave the EU. If you look at the public opinion polls, uh, the moods haven't actually shifted that much. In fact, even some of the uh, British people who voted to remain now think basically that the UK should get on with the Brexit negotiations, that uh, the UK should respect the will uh, of the British people. At the same time, the public you know, would like to control migration, but also would like the UK to strike this bespoke agreement. Again, something which Theresa May would find very difficult. So uh, expectations yeah. might get disappointed. Yes, but I think it's very important to get this message also outside the UK, because what is Quite often striking to me is that some European counterparts think that the UK might actually change its mind, uh, whereas again, I think it's worth actually referring to the public opinion polls, which are consistent in this case. Now, legally speaking, I am among those uh, lawyers and commentators who think that there is nothing actually in Article 50 which would prevent a departing member state from changing its mind. And this is actually also something that the European Parliament has stated in its um, draft resolution. Um, the European Parliament recognizes that apparently, you know, the withdrawing member states could change its mind, but it shouldn't be used actually as increasing Uh, leverage of a departing member states. And there is this very interesting uh, reference in in this draft resolution, which basically says that the Article 50 is revocable, but it should be subject to conditions set by all member states so that a departing one is not using it to buy more time or basically, you know, to negotiate a better deal. So as a final question, let's get into the practicalities. Mm. When do you expect the talks actually to start between the two partners? So I think it is a fantasy to assume that once Theresa May has triggered Article 50, she will be able actually to sit at the negotiating table the very next day. It will take actually months for the European Union to adopt its negotiating stance. We've already heard from European Council President that she will present the draft guidelines 
uh, guidelines which will basically uh, shed some light uh, on the future negotiating stance. But then all European leaders will have to agree with those draft guidelines. This is something which will be adopted only at the end of the uh, of April, when the special European Council summit has been convened. And once the guidelines have been adopted, the European Commission will come up with a very detailed negotiating mandate that again, uh, member states, in this case, Council, will have to adopt. And as you know, on the way, we have uh, quite substantial elections, uh, both in France and in Germany. And some commentators have actually hinted that it will be very difficult to adopt a negotiating mandate for the Commission before elections in Germany. So once actually Theresa May has triggered Article 50 and the clock started ticking, time is against her. And uh, it will take again, as I said, a couple of months for the EU to come up with some consistent negotiating stance. All right, Agata Gostinska-Jakubowska on the triggering of Article 50. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the CER podcast. You can find more on our website, cer.org.uk, or follow us on Twitter at CER underscore London.